we're loyal, we're conscientious, we tend to be healers, teachers, therapists, we're justice seekers, we are great at problem solving, we tend to be very creative, very discerning. And I think that I used to think, you know, I'm very judgmental and it's like, no, I'm just very discerning. I go into a situation, I'm clear about what works and what doesn't. I want to talk about it because I'm a verbal processor and I don't view that as being judgmental anymore. It's like, I'm just talking about what is. Hello, and thank you for joining me here on Hope to Recharge podcast, the podcast that's designed to break the stigma around mental health and to create some hope and inspiration and give some practical tips to those that are struggling with mental health, whether it's from personal stories to break the stigma or some advice from professionals in the mental health community. Whether you are struggling with mental health on your own or you know a loved one that is struggling, we are here to support you and to create a community so you you know you are not alone. The road to recovery can be difficult and challenging. At Hope to Recharge, we believe that in mental health, together is always better. I'm your host, Matana. Thank you for joining me here today. Thank you for all of those that took the time to join the mastermind and gifted themselves the joy of working on their mental health and leveling up together with us in Hope to Recharge Mastermind. If you are looking to join, you can join for February. You can go to hopetorecharge.com forward slash mastermind. All the information is there. If you join for February, it's the first week in February, the first Sunday in February, we're going to do the February class. If you're looking to join, you can join and I will give you the recording for January and you will join the Facebook group and work out together with us on your mental health. This is going to be an awesome year of working together with me for those that are committed to a process of growing and evolving and changing what is now to a better state of being. This is not for everyone. This is only for individuals that are willing to show up for themselves. They're willing to gift themselves the gift of wellness. Go to hopetorecharge.com forward slash mastermind and you see all the information there or you can contact me through email on the website and we are happy to address any questions you have. If you're not sure if it's for you, we're happy to speak to you about it and see if this is the right place for you. So I'm excited about this. The first recording was epic and I am so grateful for all of you. Looking forward to anybody that wants to join if it's the right place for you. Hello and welcome to Hope to Recharge, a place where we discuss mental illness, how to find wellness, and our own private journey in getting to be a little bit better than we are today or finding our path in healing and what works for us. Everybody's journey is different than mental health. And we are here to tell you that you should try to get better if you're suffering, to try to reach for support, learn more about what you're struggling with. And there's so many struggles there that are labeled and giving us tips and information that we didn't have. And today I have Patricia Young here with us today. Patricia is very, very interesting to me. And I found her in the podcasting world. She's a fellow podcaster. We had a little conversation and I, after speaking to her, I'm like, oh my gosh, Patricia, I think I know what I am. So Patricia started a podcast called Unapologetically Sensitive. It's all about 
highly sensitive people. Now, I didn't know that it was a real thing. And after speaking to Patricia, she told me that it's a real thing. And I was fascinated. And I said, can you please come on my podcast and share your wisdom? Because this can really help so many out there that are not labeling themselves as mental health or mental illness strugglers, but they're just struggling in life because they're sensitive. So Patricia, thank you for joining me here today. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about our conversation. Yes, I'm really excited because I'm excited for myself because I'm about to learn a lot about myself. (laughs) So thank you. So Patricia is a therapist. She has a private practice. She also has an online course for highly sensitive people. Growing up, Patricia, I didn't label myself as sensitive, by the way. I didn't. Mm -hmm. But looking back, oh my God, I was sensitive. Like, I think I was in denial, maybe, that I was sensitive. I was giving a very strong front. I'm okay. But inside, I was broken. Mm -hmm. And, And then when you said that it's a real thing, I'm like, I wish I knew this when I was younger, that I can give myself permission to feel this way. Sure. So I want to ask you this question. Sure. So you're a therapist for many years. Mm -hmm. What is your specialty in therapist? What do you like like working with? Well, now my specialty is totally working with the highly sensitive person. That's what I do. I'm passionate about it. I really want to change the message about what sensitivity is. And I think that even the, the name highly sensitive person Dr. Elaine Aaron coined the trait back in the 90s, and this is not a dig on her, but when I have guests on my podcast and ask what are other terms you would like, people like highly responsive, highly perceptive, trying to think of some of the other ones. The word sensitive just brings up you know, this idea of being emotional and weak, and that is so not what the highly mm. sensitive person is about. So I really feel strongly about providing education about really what does it mean to be highly sensitive, and it's about so much more than our emotions, and to really have people see that what they think is wrong with them is what's right with them. Being sensitive is a superpower. Now I feel really excited. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a superman, superwoman. And before you got into the highly sensitive work, you were treating depression, anxiety, mental health, relationships. What was your practice look like? Kind of everything. I have a very strong medical background that I worked for home health for five years. I worked in an acute care hospital for nine years. I covered everything from the emergency room to intensive care to labor and delivery. And we also had a behavioral health unit. So I would write 5150s if people needed to come in on a 72-hour hold. We did the 14-day hearings if somebody needed to be held longer. So when I switched to private practice, I thought, I can see anybody because I have this vast experience and it was not a good fit for me. And as I learned about the traits of being highly sensitive, that's really where my passion is and just my energy around what I do. And I really found a way of working with highly sensitive people that seems to be pretty effective and have come up with a 10-week online course for highly sensitive people that I run. And what I've seen is it's pretty transformational. Mm. Do you connect with it because you label yourself as a highly sensitive person? Definitely. And because I receive so many negative messages about, you know, you think too much, you worry too much, you can't take a joke, you you need thicker skin, you know, you're too intense. I heard all of those things and it really felt like something was wrong with me. And now I know that those are all things that are really strengths for me. Mm. And I want, I, I like, I just want to change the narrative that we have, that we give ourselves and to understand that when people give us those messages, it's usually not about us, it's about them. Mm. So learning how 
to, to talk to other people about, so what does that bring up for you? Because it's really not about us, but we take on these messages and then we think there's something wrong with us and we have amazing strengths, but challenges. Everybody has challenges. Life mm -hmm. is not perfect and beautiful and it's about learning how to lean into and accept whatever's going on. And we do have more emotional responses to things, but when we learn to lean into it and not fight it, it comes and it goes and we move on. When you were describing, when you said those things that people called you, that's exactly me. I like, I, I nodded my head. I'm like, oh my God, that, that's what people called me. You think yeah. too much. You, you're too deep. Stop analyzing everything. Just be. Right. It's not about the past. Move on. And I'm like, no, if this is what's going on in my head, this is what's going on in my head and I need to address it. Now, granted, I do believe that sometimes we need to step away a little bit and have tips to how not to consume ourselves with it. But I definitely, think that we need to give ourselves permission to be who we are. And if this is the way we're wired, embrace it. Right. Part of what happens is, and I, I, don't, I haven't come up with a better word other than, other than wounding, but when we get messages about how we show up in the world, it's not being okay. And all that takes is a parent who just doesn't understand. Like I've done a lot of healing with my mom, but my mom was a single parent who was very anxious and didn't have a lot of room for feelings. And so I got messages about, I, I cried, I had to go to my room. And because she came from an abusive background, she didn't have a vocabulary for it. So what I learned was it wasn't okay to talk about my feelings. It wasn't okay to have feelings. I learned to be incredibly intellectual to survive. And it felt like who I was wasn't okay. And so what happens is I sometimes use the analogy like Swiss cheese parts of my personality were very solid and very well developed. In other areas, it's like there were holes there. Attachment issues, getting hurt, getting my feelings hurt very easily. And often that gets overlaid with the trait of sensitivity. And we, we end up hating the sensitivity, but it's not the sensitivity, it's the wounding. I believe that if people grow up with parents that are able to help the child really embrace their traits and can co-regulate with them. So the child gets upset, the parent's able to stay calm and model how to stay calm. Then we raise kids really embrace who they are and learn how to honor their traits. Most of us don't get that. It's not a no fault, no blame. I think parents can be very well-intentioned and well-meaning. We can have good childhoods. And often our parents didn't get you know what they needed, so they don't have it to give to us. But what happens is we end up hating our traits because they weren't we didn't learn that they were okay. And so that's so much of what the work that I do is really learning to identify what your traits are. What are the negative messages that you have around them? How can we change that so that you really do see that you're coming from a place of having these amazing gifts and strengths? Mm -hmm. I love the way you put it. So I want to go back to your growing up. So you had a single mom. Do mm -hmm. you have a father? He was pretty absent. And as a kid, I was a chubby kid. My recollection is that, you know, I talk too much at the dinner table. I played with my food, you know, whatever I did wasn't right. And he was very ambivalent about parenting. And so he was pretty absent once they got divorced. He'd pick on me about my weight. I was a chubby kid. And as a kid, mm -hmm. I didn't have the ability to go like, my father was ambivalent about being a father and he really can't show up. And because of his own fears, he's being critical of me. So I just figured if I just lost weight, he'd come back and love me. Wow. You know, so having a father that was absent, a mother that was mm -hmm. present in ways that she could be, but not in ways that I needed. I've been in therapy for a lot of years. I've really had to, to work on a lot of my own wounding. And a lot of us have the wound of feeling like we're either too much or not enough. And we generally have both of those. Wow. That is so perceptive of what you were saying about your father, that sometimes they don't know how to show up. So they try to push us away maybe, or blame us for their imperfection in parenting. And 
granted, most parents are imperfect because we don't get the book of how to be the perfect parent until we're struggling, right? Suddenly we're like, oh no, we have a difficult child. What are we doing wrong? How do we show up? And we should be learning about parenting before we have children in general. Yes, every child is different. And yes, you can't learn how to swim until you're in the water. Galen theories. But I do believe that with parenting, we don't give it enough time to show up properly for our children. I'm talking to myself. Maybe some of them, some of you out there are amazing parents. And I feel on my journey as a parent, sometimes I feel like I don't show up properly and I don't give them what they need. And I brought them to the world. They're my, they're my responsibility to give them the best life to give them the best tools and not just as like what your mother did when she didn't know, just put you in your room. Um, just keep quiet because I, it's too noisy for me. Stop playing with your food. Um, you're just too sensitive. Whatever it is, as parents, we need to start young, not wait until we're elder children to be um, at this at this at a therapist saying, okay, now I have to rewire my brains. And we really have to start young. And that's why I'm really excited about our conversation. I hope a lot of parents are listening because there are a lot of highly sensitive children out there. And if we give them the tools when they're young, they can flourish when they're older. Absolutely. And what the research shows is that children that have supportive environments have very good outcomes when they're highly sensitive. But when they have difficult childhoods, there's a higher rate of anxiety and depression. Mm. And it makes sense because Absolutely. we don't feel seen and heard and valued for who we are. It's how we're wired and we have to come up with ways to cover it or to adapt. Like, for me, I became incredibly intellectual because that's what was allowed. So from the neck up, I've got really great skills from the neck down. I've had to learn to reconnect with my body and my feelings and, mm. you know, and we just need to be good enough parents. So even though we may not show up for our kids, it's 30% is what it takes to be a good enough parent. And I was 36. I have twin boys that are 19 now. Mm. I had my master's degree when I had my kids and oh. I have made some very, very poor parenting mistakes and areas where what I didn't get in my childhood, I passed on to my kids. You know, we go to the opposite extreme. So I, I don't think you can do you know, even if you prepare, you're not prepared until you have kids and we do the best that we can and then right. they grow up and then they can get their own therapy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I, the question is, how much therapy do they need? How much rewiring do they need on the couch? You know, how much more? And what is that wound? Like we're laughing about it, but some of us are going, walking around with real wounds that are so hard to like peel off and to mm -hmm. re-identify who we are. So yes, no one's perfect. There is no parent in the world that is perfect. It's just impossible because they also can't go into our brain. They try their hardest, but they can't go into our brain. They don't really know what's going on and what we need. And sometimes we don't vocalize what's good for us. We're not sure ourselves. So it's, it's but we could try our best. And if we take little tips, or we're, we're interested, it's already a huge benefit for children. Right. I'm wondering if we can talk about what the four core characteristics have that comprise a highly sensitive person, yes. just so we can give your listeners a chance to right. really get what it's about. Is that okay with you? Yes. I wanted to deep dive and I wanted to beforehand just give a, a one or two minute, how did, you dis how did you discover it in yourself? What was that aha moment where you discovered I'm a highly sensitive person and I'm going to do something about this? It's a really lousy story because I honestly don't even remember who told me about the trait. What I can tell you is I thought I had social anxiety. I am 56 now. I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety and ADHD and was on meds 
probably, I think when I was in my 30s, I was in a recovery home for my eating disorder. I was there for nine and a half months. They sent me to a therapist and I ended up getting on meds and was on meds for a number of years. I thought I was an introvert. And I read a lot of the, you know, the graphics and the things that we see. And a lot of what's been written about introversion is really about the highly sensitive person. So I thought I was an introvert. And I think what happens is highly sensitive people is when we're young, we go into situations and we get over aroused, overstimulated, like it just feels like too much and yucky. We don't want to do it again. And then I read all these things about introversion. It's like, I must be an introvert because mm -hmm. I like being at home. I like quiet. And then I'd spend all this time not doing things because like I'm, I'm an introvert. I'm supposed to like to be alone. And that created more depression and lethargy because I'm actually a highly sensitive extrovert, which means I want to be around small groups of people mm -hmm. in a quiet venue for a limited amount of time. I need time to go home and recharge. We can't use that analogy of the battery for introverts and extroverts that we mm -hmm. see. Right. That's for the non-highly sensitive person. Mm -hmm. So I don't even know when I learned about the trait, but what I realized is so much of what I'd adapted and worked with with my clients, you know, perfectionism and knowing that for the clients that I attracted, without knowing about the trait of high sensitivity, I needed to let them know that what they were doing was okay and to stop beating up on themselves. Because as highly sensitive people, we tend to have a really high bar for where we think we're supposed to be. So when I learned that there was a reason that this is how I was, like I knew a lot about the trait, but didn't know what it was. Mm. It was just a huge aha moment. And then it's like, this is what I need to be doing. And that's that's kind of when it all came together. But I don't I know love this story. Was. I love this story. <laughs> First of all, can I tell you why? why my, sure. I love it because you went into your journey of healing for one thing and you completely came out with a light bulb that went off. Oh my gosh, I'm not all this. I'm really this. And that's your path to healing. When you're getting... When you're, you think you're healing something that you're not, you're never going to heal. I yeah. love this story. I think a moment of, <laughs> for this show, by the way, I don't know why Patricia thinks it's not a good story. I love the story. And I think it's a huge learning moment that we don't have to always go into figuring out how to really solve a big problem, but just start the process. And the process is going to lead you to your real wellness. Start it. Don't say, I need to figure it out today. I need to figure it out in a year. Just start the process and it's just going to evolve. And like Patricia, she found out that she's a highly sensitive person. She started this journey and now she's helping so many people around the world notice that they are this and I'm one of them. So let's go into the trait. Sure. So in the 90s, Dr. Elaine Aaron started doing research on the trait of high sensitivity. It's been around for a long time, but she started doing research and coined the trait, the highly sensitive person, or the research-based trait is sensory processing sensitivity. But it has four core characteristics that spell the acronym DOES or DOES. So the D is for depth of processing, the O is for over-arousal or overstimulation, E is for emotional responsiveness or empathy, and the S is sensitive, I always get this wrong, sensitive to subtleties. So let's talk about what each one of those mean a little bit more in depth. So depth of processing, we have a more active insula. That's the part of the brain that helps enhance perception, increases self-awareness. We're deep thinkers. We take in the big picture and we're always kind of wanting to turn things over and you know chew on things and really understand, which can lead to some exhaustion because we're problem solvers. We tend to come up with solutions that most people don't because we're really trying to look at everything from 
all perceptions. We want to know what the meaning is life is the meaning of life is. We wonder about the quality of relationships that we're in. We're aware of social justice justice issues. And sometimes we need to take more time to think about something and process it before coming up with an answer because we really want to get a big picture. I'm just dancing a happy dance now. <laughs> I wish people can see my joy. I hope you're feeling it through my vibration. <laughs> Patricia just described me and I have tears. I really have tears in my eyes because this is me always yeah. needing to figure it out. When I was dating my husband, Ari, he always said, you could never just be happy in our date. You had to figure out why I said what I said last time that I didn't even remember saying it. You had to figure out my next two words and you had to analyze it. And what's our relationship now? And what's it going to be like in 10 years? And what if it doesn't work? And what if I could get hurt? And what if this and what if that? And and I used to be very hard on myself on that. So I'm, I'm emotional now. Yeah. I'm, thank you. <laughs> well, this is why it's so important that we feel, you know, we've gotten these messages that how we show up in the world is not okay. And it's really a strength. If we have time, remind me to tell you this story about my husband offering to repaint my office because it okay. kind of depicts us, but let's stay on task. Yes. So the O is overstimulation or overarousal. Because we notice more subtle details in the environment, we're more emotionally impacted by social stimulation. So we're more likely to get exhausted by high levels of input. So it's that feeling of being stressed out. Our cortisol levels can run higher if we get too much stimulation. This may be one of the most negative parts of being an HSP because our permanent dominant culture is really about doing and overstimulation can lead to depression and anxiety. Mm, yes. Yeah. I, but I find that there's a pattern in my life depending when I'm, I'm, sometimes I hide and I like myself in my room. I'm like, I can't hear anybody. And I physically cover my ears. Mm hmm. Because I, and I close the lights and I'm like, I can't hear anymore. Like I need just quiet. But I find that it's not constant. It depends. I also on my hormone level, um, what's going on in my life, if I'm peaking or not. Like I do see a relationship between the exterior and how much I could tolerate. Yeah. I find that there are times when I'm, my energy is much higher. I generally don't wear makeup in the last couple of days. I put makeup on because there are a couple of Facebook lives I want to do. Mm -hmm. And every day I'm like, I'm just not up for it. I'm like, well, that was a waste of makeup. And then, and <laughs> And then I know like I just need more time to kind of be quiet and that when my energy is up, I'll, that's when I do Facebook Lives and that's when you're going to see me engaging more. Mm -hmm. And I think that as we learn to honor our rhythms, then we can do that and know that that's just kind of how we're wired. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. What's the next? So the next is emotional responsiveness or empathy. Brain scans have shown that HSPs have, a more, have more mirror neurons which means we have more feelings of empathy. So we're going to get more impacted by positively by music, art, dance, nature, children. There's something called differential susceptibility and what, and this applies to HSPs. If you put us in a positive environment, we're going to do better than the non-highly sensitive person. If you put us in a poor environment, we're going to fare worse than the non-highly sensitive person. And so when we understand what works for us and we can try and create a lifestyle that honors our needs, mm -hmm. we can do so much better than the non-HSP. I just want to say HSP, HSP stands for a highly sensitive person. Right, right. 
And there's a difference between emotional reactivity and emotional responsiveness. And when we have, again, I, I'm, I haven't come up with great language, but I'm just going to use wounding. When we have wounding, we tend to be emotionally reactive. So something happens and I just, I get mad, I get hurt, I get disappointed, I blame you, whatever it is. When we do our work, something happens, we have an emotional reaction. We can sit with it until we figure out an appropriate Again, I don't even like appropriate, not appropriate, but until we can come up with a way to respond that is going to create more peace in our lives. And, and that doesn't mean that I can't express that I'm unhappy or I'm disappointed or angry, but the difference is I'm not making it about you. I'm, I'm owning what's going on for me. So we have these very strong emotional feelings, but we learn how to balance it. And also maybe communicate about it to people yeah. that are around us to understand that it's not personal to them. It's nothing about what they are doing, really. That This is how we're wired. Yeah. Yeah. And it opens a conversation and also an awareness. If we need to disappear to our room or if we need some quiet time, it's how we're wired. Right. Right. That's how we replenish and recharge. We need mm -hmm. that time. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then the last one is awareness of, uh, actually, it's sensitive to subtleties. So we notice details that others miss, nonverbal cues, small changes in the environment. And we notice things like when the barometric pressure is dropping. Some HSPs have perfect pitch. We tend to have more side effects to medication. We can be more sensitive to caffeine, to um, certain foods. We're more sensitive to changes in temperature. We may notice the sound of a ticking clock or dripping water. And then things like bright lights, loud noises, strong smells, uh, textures of fabrics can bother us. Mm. Yeah. So that I always used to say, I'm highly sensory. I used to say, and all my kids are, I'm like, oh, they're sensory children. So they can't wear tight clothes or they can't, they can't sleep with noise. So they're with, with interrupted noise. So they're all sleeping with noisemakers since the day they're born and they can't be confined. Like I have one child that comes home and two seconds he's, he's out of his uniform and he's, he literally does this, <gasps> like he feels, and that's the way I felt and I get it. It's hard. And then our brain, I feel like our brain cells are just not working when our body is not feeling good. Right. There is something called sensory processing disorder, which is not the same as sensitive to subtleties. There is some crossover. I, I don't think I can really intelligently or, or with a lot of expertise explain what the difference is. So there is a small component in being a highly sensitive person, but I do want to make it clear that sensory processing disorder is something that's different than what we're talking about. Right. There is a little overlay. Right. Definitely. The traits are very, very similar. And I'm wondering that if when people do get diagnosed as sensory, is it really highly sensory sensitive person, maybe? Maybe that's what they're really struggling with? Um, if it's sensory processing disorder, like both of my kids have sensory processing disorder. They did when they were young. They've outgrown it where being a highly sensitive person isn't a diagnosis. It's a trait that we're born with. It's not due to trauma. It's not due to anything else. So does that answer your question? I think we never outgrew it. Like my husband and I are both severe sensory, like severe. Mm -hmm. And we mm -hmm. never outgrow it and we're not looking to outgrow it. This is who we are. My, my son, that's 17 also, but we learned coping mechanisms, how to deal with it through life instead yeah. of suffer through it. So yeah. I, I do think that maybe 
maybe they're misdiagnosed. I don't know what the processing part of it is, but maybe it's a cross, maybe it's a part of it. I don't know, but it's something to look into. Definitely interesting. In your course, do you teach coping mechanisms, like strategies? We have a 10 week module. And so we cover every week. There's a video that I recorded. There's another highly sensitive therapist, Jen Perry, and we worked on the course together. And so we cover mindfulness and self-compassion, identifying negative messages and turning them into superpowers, perfectionism, embracing our emotions, self-care, boundaries, communication, authenticity, vulnerability, and creating a lifestyle that honors the highly sensitive person. So every week we meet for an hour and 20 minutes and the video is sent out before groups so that we really get that full amount of time to talk about each of those topics. And then if things are showing up in people's lives, then we definitely talk about how do you manage and how do you cope and how does that work? So how does one diagnose if they're just someone that has a few of these traits, but they're really not a high sen- highly sensitive person, or are they really that, that they can work on themselves? Like, is there a measure? Is there a diagnosis? Are you saying well, it's not really a diagnosis? It's, but it's not just, a diagnosis. Right. It occurs in too many people to be um, problematic. It's really a survival instinct. They've identified it in at least 100 animal species. So I have some videos on my website about the four core characteristics. If you're interested, I can give you that information at the end. I can give you some resources where you can go. What Dr. Aaron says is, you know, all four core characteristics make up the traits. But to me, it doesn't even matter whether you're a highly sensitive person or not. If you know that this is what goes on with you, you want to understand that and figure out what do you need to do in your life so that you can navigate with more ease. That's One of the reasons why I'm not really crazy about diagnosis and labels, because it usually puts us into a box where at least for me, finding out I was a highly sensitive person felt like it took me out of the box and helped me understand this is how I'm wired. Right. And the techniques really gives us a a place of comfort. This is who I am. And I could show up the way I am versus constantly apologizing for who I am and for my, for things that have come up with a highly sensitive person, just saying, this is who I am and I'm gifted and, and, and it's okay. And it's an ongoing process. It's not like we learn and then it's over. And that's one of the things with the bonus episodes that I do on the podcast is when I'm struggling with something or something has happened, I generally, because I'm a verbal processor, I usually sit down and do a recording, not sure if I'm going to release it, but I just kind of want to talk things out. Mm -hmm. And then often I'll just let it sit until I'm past that experience and go back and listen with a little bit more objectivity and see, do I think this is helpful? And I I think it really a great way to demonstrate all the little ways that this shows up and how do we navigate it. And I do tend to have reactions to things, but I don't react. I hold on to it and I figure out what I need to do. So it's about learning how to navigate whatever comes up. It's not that we won't have challenges, but we need to figure out what to do. And for me, there's so much power in just naming what's going on. I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling angry. I feel like I I went to the dentist on Friday. It took two hours. It was a new dentist. I was going to go to a networking thing afterwards. I put on makeup, which is a big deal. And I felt really tired after being at the dentist. And this narrative came in of how, how can I be tired? Like, I'm, like all you did was you sat in a chair at the dentist. You know, you can't be too tired and you need, to go to this, you need to go to this networking thing and maybe you need to push because often when I get to places, I find that I really am engaged. The transition, we as highly sensitive people struggle with transitions. We need more time. So I know for me that often I just need to get myself to where I need to be. And then if I'm having a great time, I stay. And if I'm not, I leave. But I really checked in and like my body was overstimulated. And I I knew that if I went, I'd come home and I'd really be fried. And so I kind of had to work through that thing of like, 
I'm going to honor what I need. And I came home and I did what I needed to do. And, and even at this point of working with highly sensitive people, I still had some challenges around like, do I need to go do it? Like, am I just being like, what's wrong with me? And then honoring what I needed. It's that conversation that goes in the head. Am I lazy? Yeah. Am I procrastinating? And we have these conversations all the time. You know why? Because we get depleted so fast. Yeah. And we have this kind of, you know, I call it gremlins or we can call it a self-hating system that doesn't honor who we are. And so again, naming it, what I did is I reached out to a couple of people and said, you need to talk about what's going on because like what I really want to do is go home and I'm having this, you know, chatter in my head. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we recognize that it's not who we are, it's the chatter. And then we can try and figure out what do we need and to trust that there are no wrong decisions. I could have gone home and decided to go. I could have gone and decided to go back home. There is no right or wrong, but we get to figure out what's going on for us and to learn how to honor and trust that. It's not always easy. Yeah. I, as you're talking, I remember I, I'm very proud of myself right now because um, knowing all this now, I think I created a system for myself. Um, for I used to be very reactive, very reactive. Like if someone would really get me upset and I'm very emotional, I would react impulsively and then regret at what I said and I looked like a fool or whatever. And now for the many years, I I pause and I let myself process what went on and what what's really coming up? What's really making you feel this way? What would you want to say? What will be effective? Don't just say because you're angry, what will be effective? And I think that was a coping mechanism for me because so many years after I reacted a certain way, I used to regret it and I would feel a lot of shame. Mm-hmm. And, but no one taught me that. I, I think I learned it through my depression and my anxiety to calm down a little bit because I do believe that my depression and anxiety came as a, it was like a tumbling down, crashing of emotions that were building up. Mm -hmm. So it was a gift for me. But if someone doesn't have that aha moment, they're still struggling. Right. There's just a lot of skills that we don't get. And so it's important that if we don't have them, that we find places where we can learn skills and practice and do it safely. I'd like to take this opportunity to pause for a second and give a big thank you to our sponsor, BetterHelp.com. Have you been thinking of getting therapy for a while, but you live in a place that doesn't have therapists that meets your need? Or are they too expensive for what you can afford and you really want to get help and therapy? Or do you travel a lot and you can't access the therapist when you travel? Or do you come home from work and you're too, it's too late to go to an office for therapy? Well, betterhelp.com is an online platform for therapy. You can access thousands of therapists and choose from the therapist that meets your need. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash hope to recharge to receive your 10% off on your first month. Take charge of your wellness. Go try them out. They really try hard to match you up with the specific therapist that will meet your need. Don't wait to get help. Go now, betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. You can access them from your phone, your tablet, your computer. You can be in your bed and you can receive your therapy you need. Don't wait longer. And now enjoy the rest of the episode. Well, the interesting part that I think is that you're saying that there are far too many that are highly sensitive people. Dr. Aaron estimates that 15 to 20% of the population are highly sensitive. I heard her speak in Santa Cruz a year ago in 2018, and she said 
it may be as high as 30%. I haven't seen any research on that. It occurs equally between men and women. About 70% of highly sensitive people are introverts. About 30% are extroverts. Mm-hmm. How did Dr. Aaron get to the, all this? What's her, how, what's her journey in this field? I think she started studying shyness and then it somehow expanded. I don't really know a whole bunch, but I know she did a lot of personal interviews. I went to a retreat the same year that I saw her with other highly sensitive therapists. And one of the therapists was from Santa Cruz and actually had been to Dr. Aaron's home in the 90s to be interviewed by her for this study that she was starting. Interesting. Yeah. And there's a big relationship between depression and anxiety if it's not diagnosed, if that you don't like the diagnosis word, but if you're not aware of it. Well, what, what Dr. Aaron's research shows is that children that are, that have the word that she uses is difficult childhoods. Mm-hmm. And what I anecdotally think is all it takes is having a parent that doesn't understand our trait, that that's enough to create anxiety and depression because ideally what we want is a parent who understands who we are and can mirror and help us embrace our feelings. And when we don't have that, my mom's a highly sensitive parent, but we didn't know that when she was raising me. So she didn't have that awareness, but I felt like how I showed up in the world was not okay. Mm -hmm. And how, how can you not as a child feel like how you are wired is okay if you're getting messages about, you know, shrug it off. You're too sensitive. Why are you worrying about that? You're so emotional. How can we not feel okay with ourselves? And I really think that I want to be very clear that Depression and anxiety are real diagnoses. Medication is valuable for people. So I am not taking a stand on whether any of those things are real and people need medication. What I can say is through doing healing over many, many, many years, I made a choice to go off of medication. And for me, I think a lot of what I struggle with mood wise is about having strong feelings and feeling like they weren't okay, not understanding that I have times when I have more energy and I'm more out there and I have times when I need to withdraw a little bit more and really understanding my rhythm. So if you're on medication, I'm not telling you to go off of it. I want to be very clear about that, that there's a very high misdiagnosis of people that are highly sensitive with depression, anxiety, ADHD, bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, because a lot of practitioners don't understand and because we do tend to have strong emotional feelings about things. And I remember telling my psychiatrist, I mean, overwhelm is the biggest thing I struggle with, how overwhelmed I was all the time because I'm processing so much and I'm taking in so much information. And we do tend to run more on the anxious side because we anticipate often, and this is anecdotal. So if you've heard otherwise, please believe whatever you've heard. I know for me that I typically go to the worst case scenario when something is happening. That's just the way that my brain goes. And then I know like, okay, so there's a party and like, what if I don't connect? And what if it's terrible? Okay, so what's the best possible outcome? Oh, I might connect. I might have a great time. Like having that awareness and knowing that that's just where my brain goes to. And it doesn't have to be what the truth is. So learning to work with how we're wired, but we're also great at troubleshooting and predicting and forecasting. You know, we're people that have, we carry purses. We probably have Band-Aids and aspirin and, you know, everything that anybody could ever need, you know, an EpiPen just in case. (laughs) It's so funny. Whoever picks up my purse says, what do you carry in here? And my husband always says, the world. And if there was a second world, the world would be in there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so we can view that as something terrible or we can go like, I just like being really prepared for stuff. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And we, and I feel like each one has their own way that they can deal with it, their comfort zone and the place that they say, okay, this is a little bit overdoing it and even exercise with it a little bit and say, okay, let me leave this at home and see how I feel. 
If it gives us too much anxiety, it's not worth it. But yeah. if it gives us a little bit of a less neck ache from our pocketbook, our purse, so maybe it is, and it didn't give us so much anxiety. So we can work with it and see where it's going. And as you said, each journey is individual in this highly sensitive journey. And we have to see what works for us as individuals. But knowing it is the first path to understanding, which is great. I wanted to ask you if we can give a few tips to parents that are listening here and saying, oh my gosh, maybe that's my child. What should be the first thing that they should do or interact with their children? Should it be a conversation? Should it be a book they should read? What should be the first step? The parent really needs to learn as much as they can about the trait of high sensitivity. And Dr. Elaine Aaron has a book called The Highly Sensitive Child. So that's where I would start. And there are a couple of books that have been written for children about being sensitive. I think it's most important for the parent to really understand about it. And chances are the parent has biases about sensitivity. So to really, if it means having to work with a coach or someone to learn a little bit more about how to interact with their kids, because I can't tell you, I love watching shows about dance and I can't tell you how many times I see people say like, don't cry. Like these, you know, these are kids who are competing for a world championship and they don't win. Like crying is a really healthy response, oh, but I can't man. tell you how many times I see that on, you know, the types of shows that I watch. They're, crying is okay. It's a very healthy response. You should be disappointed. Mm. So I think that we have things that we say that are really unhelpful. And what we really want to do is to teach our children to embrace whatever feelings come up for them, for us to learn how to stay calm and co-regulate, and then to learn to work with our kids. Because oftentimes, highly sensitive kids tend to be very emotionally, get overwhelmed and overstimulated very easily. And they have a lot of meltdowns because they're overstimulated, but they don't have the words for it. You know, when our kids act in ways that tend to be really unloving, they usually are needing something and they don't know how to tell us. And so it's not our job to discipline them. It's our job to figure out what it is that they're needing that they're not able to say. Mm. Do you think that maybe sometimes kids use it as a power tool? Like let's say they have an amazing empathetic parent, but they realize that the tears is what brings the empathy out. Do you think that's okay? I really prefer to not use the word manipulative with kids, unless we're talking about, you know, a child that has some kind of diagnosis, which I wouldn't even want no, to No, I'm talking into. about a little child, four, five, six, like they're so little, they don't even know that they're doing it. You know, they say when a baby's born, they learn, they cry, they get milk, they're fed. So whenever they cry, that means, and then when you start to wean them off of that bottle at night, so you have to re teach them that crying won't get them the milk. It's something that they're taught very young from day one, you cry, you get. I think if we look at it in terms of unmet needs, mm. that, you know, all behavior is about an unmet need. And if we can understand what the need is, it doesn't mean that the child's going to get that need met, but being able to verbalize, you're really tired. You, you really want the bottle. It's hard. You know, it, mm. it's hard. You really want to, you know, you really want to nurse mm. and we're not going to be doing that now. You name it and you have a lot of empathy that that's, I think, where the healing is. And I think for me to look at behaviors being manipulative, kids just have needs that they're trying to get met and they don't know how to do it. I love what you just said. I love it because for me as a parent, a lot of times I don't want to hear the whining because it's, it's exhausting. It also brings me down as a highly sensitive person. It just, it, my vibrations go off and yeah. I'm overwhelmed very fast. And I'm like, okay, just stop crying. What, what do you want? Versus saying, I see something's really bothering you. Let's talk about it. Look, yeah. You have to be really a saint to be able to do it all the time. But if we can pause even part of the time and say, okay, look, she's crying, he's crying. What's really going on? What's bothering yeah. them? Maybe they just need some 
empathy. Maybe they just need a hug. Maybe they just need to be noticed. Yeah. I think kids, I mean, everybody wants to be seen and heard and valued and we mm-hmm. want our feelings to be honored. You're really sad right now. You're really angry right now. You you don't like it when you don't get what you want. Mm-hmm. One of my kids, I wouldn't ever say this to him and he's 19. He's a, he's a great kid, but I felt like he was born in the land of not enough. Whatever, whatever <laughs> Daniel got, it was never enough. <laughs> And I don't know how I did this, but we created Daniel's world. And so when he wanted something, like we'd go to Daniel's world and in Daniel's world, he'd watch as much TV as he wanted. He could have as much candy as he wanted. So if he got upset with like, let's go to Daniel's world, what do you want to do there? And then what? It gave him a way to legitimize his his feelings and needs because in Daniel's world, he could do whatever he wanted. It, It was often around candy or TV or, you know, wanting stuff like, what would you buy? What would you have? What would you eat? What would you watch? It allowed those feelings and those needs to come up and be okay. I didn't have to meet them in real time, but it gave a legitimate way for him to experience what he was experiencing. It was very, very powerful. Okay. I want to, I want to, I want to really talk about this for a second because okay. I love it. What okay. happens when you go, you fantasize with him. Okay. Uh-huh. In Daniel's world. So. You watch TV till 3 a.m. and then you have ice cream before you go to sleep and then you sleep till 12 and then somebody wakes you up with a breakfast at your thing and then you go for a movie and then you play video games. Yay, Daniel's world is awesome. But now, Daniel, come back to our world. You're getting none of that. (laughs) So how does that, the disappointment, because when you're in the fantasy, it's so awesome. How do you bring them back to reality without super disappointing them? It was generally around like one specific thing. So you know, he would want candy. We'd be out shopping and he'd want candy. And so it's like, well, let's go to Daniel's world. What kind of candy do you want? I'd get this. Okay. What else would you have? What else would you want? You know, you let him have, I would let him have what he wanted. And when he had enough of that fantasy, he was like, okay, I didn't need to bring him back or out of it because it allowed the need to be okay. And it was legitimate and he could have it met in Daniel's world. It's often not about the kids needing something. It's just about legitimizing that urge that we have. It's like an itch. So, I let him scratch his virtual need, you know? That is so interesting. But he never said, but I, mommy, I really want that candy. I want to eat it. I just don't, I don't want to just think about it. I want to eat it. I mean, it's been a long time. If he did, I'd be like, yeah, I, I get that you really want that. I, I get that you really want that. Right. Just giving yeah. them, wow, what a powerful message. Giving them the okay to be in their own dream and not just saying, oh, you're so ungrateful. You have so much. It's very, very good perspective. I thank you for that. And I'm going to, I'm going to start using it. I'm really going to start using it because I think it's so powerful and giving them permission to dream versus crush their dreams and take it out. Let them dream. Let them well, fantasize. And little people in our world are told when to get up, what to wear, what to eat, where to go. They have very little control and power. And so, you know, this isn't going to work for every kid. You're, you know, you'll know if this works for your kid. If you try and it doesn't work, this isn't the thing for your kid and you're going to need to come up with something else. Mm. But it's a way of giving them a, a way to have full control and power over whatever they want to do. I remember one time my twins were very young. I don't even know what possessed me, but I, somehow we made a joke about them tying me up and putting me in a box and what they would do to me. And like, they laughed and they felt so powerful. And it's like kids need to have that sense of power. They, they didn't tie me up. They didn't put me in a box. They didn't do anything wrong. But just that fantasy of having control over mommy, they loved it. Yeah. I, I really, I really like that. I like that thought. And I think it works for adults as well. A lot of times because we're afraid of rejection, it could be someone telling you something and you're like, oh, that's not going to work. Instead of tell me more about it. It could be the craziest thing. I practice this with my husband a lot now. I'm like, tell me your dream. I want to hear about it. And he used to roll my eyes and that shut them down and shut their dream down. And what a shame. 
dream and I'm a dreamer. I'm a huge dreamer. And if someone would shut me down, it'd be hurtful. Yeah, so yeah. it could work for adults as well. And talking about adult, adults, let's say someone's living with a highly sensitive person and it's mm-hmm. it's getting to them because they're really hard to live with because everything is analytic and everything is a like a deep thought and everything has a an outcome or something that triggers it. We need a lot of downtime. What do we do with relationships that are having a hard time dealing with a hard, hard, highly sensitive person. So I, I want to just comment on the perspective that the problem is the highly sensitive person, that relationships are hard. I don't care who you are. Relationships oh, sure. are challenging. And I think that this is where we buy into that it's the highly sensitive person that's a problem. And people often attract opposites. Mm-hmm. And the things that we loved about our partner are the things that drive us absolutely up the wall. Mm. But it would be just as easy to say, well, my partner is shallow and my partner doesn't remember things and my partner has no emotional capacity. I mean, we could have the same conversation about what's wrong with my partner who's not an HSP. I really would like to take that away from it being highly sensitive person versus non-highly sensitive person to both people really understanding what the other person needs Mm. and there are things about our partners that we're going to love and there are things that are going to drive us crazy. I've been married for 22 years. It takes work to be in a relationship and being able to talk about what bothers us. And my husband and I joke that there are certain ways like, I'll go like, you're so freaking sensitive, like things that I'm not aware of. We have hardwood floors. And if I walk into the bedroom at night with like clogs on, it's like, it's so loud. I don't hear it. If I don't close the door when I'm in the bathroom and I blow my nose and he's in bed, like it's too loud for him. Or I don't have that sensitivity. I've got sensitivity in other areas. So I really think it's about having compassion for both people and both people's needs and not making it about a highly sensitive person. You know what? You're right. You're 100% right. Because if you take it, as you said, if you go to the non-highly sensitive person, maybe they're the one lacking empathy. Maybe they're the ones that can't see others. Maybe we're empathetic. We're sympathetic. Mm-hmm. We're highly in tune to other people's pain. Maybe they're the one that's lacking somebody. We're all lacking something. And as you said, it's about, it's not about specifically this relationship. It's any relationship. How do you show up properly? How do you see the other ones? Whatever it is, whatever their pains or struggles or frustration, how to understand it, how to work with it and how to make it work for both of you. Yeah. I really like the way you put it. I re- and it boils down to conversation. And I think that when we know what our traits are and we're okay with it, then we're not as reactive. And the star is going to tell you about the paint is... I- I have a a room in the house that I saw clients in and my husband painted it for me and it was bright yellow before and we painted it really beautiful, like a soft turquoise. But there were places where I could see the yellow poking out and there's some blue on the ceiling and I'd go in there and those details really bug me. I never said anything to him. My husband was incredibly gracious to offer to paint it. And when my son went off to college and I moved back into the room that I had before we had kids, my son offered to paint the room. And I told him I really appreciated it and I was going to pay somebody to paint it. And he's like, how come? And I told him, he's like, well, does it affect you when you do therapy in there? Do your clients notice? I'm mm-hmm. like, no, but I know this. And he says, you're so picky. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> right. We are. And had, had I not done my, and, and I'm discerning and I know what's going to give me joy in this room. And every time I look at paint peeking through, it's, it's not going to make me feel joy. And had I not done my work, what I could imagine is like anytime anything come up, I'd use, I'd throw that back in the space. Like it's because I'm so picky. It's probably because right. I'm so picky. Yeah, it's because right. I'm so picky. <laughs> because I'd feel wounded by his words. And it's like, yeah. Own it. Yeah. Own it. Like, yeah. I think that's the biggest lesson from this episode is own who you are and talk about it and share what you need. Like if if it was me and it would drive me crazy, 
I would find a nice way, obviously in a nice way, say, you know what? I love the way you painted and it's awesome, but that really, really bothers me. Is there any way we can fix it? Or next time, there's a way to say anything, everything. And it's important to communicate it because the other person is also lost in the dark. Like, why is she moody? Why is she shutting down? Why is she running away? Why does she need to prepare so much when she travels? What's the anxiety? And when we share what we need, it's understood and respected and usually given and granted. And well, and well, and I think that when we know enough about our trait and what we need, that we tend to not be as emotional or moody or shut down, or I see it coming and I can go, I'm getting really crabby or, you know, I overdid it today and I'm going to go to the bedroom and I need some time. That when we know that it's coming and we, we've done too much that we don't have to react. We respond and we can say, hey, I need to take a break. So as we become aware of what we need, we don't push ourselves to that limit where we're having the breakdowns. So we can mm-hmm. communicate about what we need before it happens. It's not perfect. I'm not saying that it's a one and done. It's an ongoing process. Yeah. I want to touch upon one of the things that you said about the traits, one of them that were sensitive to medicines and side effects. I, I used to go into doctors. Or, I know I'm talking a lot about I, I, because this is like, I'm revealing myself here. I'm reborn. So. No, because it relates. I totally, <laughs> yeah, and that's, yeah. that's, that's another one of the traits that because we have these experiences, the way that we connect is by sharing our experiences. Right. And often, and so we often feel like, A, we're being selfish or pulling it back to us or other people go like, you're making it about you, but this is one of the ways that we connect. Right, right. So it's still to today. If I go to a doctor, my first thing will be, don't just give me any medicine. I need the research. I'm highly sensitive. I'm going to have every single side effect that's on that piece of paper. And they're like, oh, you're just saying it's in your mind. I'm like, no, every hormone, every birth control, I had a side effect. And I want to, why am I saying this? Because a lot of people reach out to me about their depression and anxiety. And I say to them over and over and over, go to your psychiatrist and work through the meds, a lot of our side effects make it worse. And and for me, it was crucial to find the right cocktail. And I believe that my first panic attack came from being on the wrong birth control. I really believe that it was that. And people may roll their eyes and say, can't be. It can be. And I felt that I feel shaky. I feel like sometimes things are crawling in me. I know that I'm going to be sensitive. It, that's just the way I am with medicine. So important to know this because it can heal us in other places that are hurting as a byproduct. Yeah. And we often want to ask for a smaller dose, a half dose, a quarter dose to start out smaller. When I was younger and was on the pill, it made me crazy. And because I hadn't been in therapy, I didn't know about being a highly sensitive person. I just thought I was a really emotionally unstable person. And later on, when I went off the pill and went back on, I had to go on a very low dose because it just messed, you know, the combination of having hormone fluctuations and then being highly sensitive without knowing that's what it was. That's crazy. Right. My yeah. mother always used to say to me, you just know what's your what your body's going through. Like I used to know when I'm ovulating just by a feeling. I used to mm-hmm. know I used to know things that most people don't know without testing. And and my mother used to say, You're just so connected to everything. And I really am. Like and I'm also connected to people. Like I feel their energy. Like I can walk into a store and feel if there's really negative energy there, I'll walk out. I'll just mm-hmm. walk out because it's it's not worth it for me. Mm-hmm. And if someone walk into my house, I'll say, mm, maybe not so good idea to, to interact with them now. Let's step away. Which once I didn't know that it was my trait, I used to think it was a downside about me, but mm-hmm. not like I know now that it, it's, it's the plus one in me, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. It's my gift. Yeah. And I and I and I now I'm going to really really look at it as a gift and mm-hmm. I'm going to start communicating better about what I need and also allowing myself more to be okay with it versus being hard on myself. I remember once my therapist told me to read a book called Brain Lock. Mm-hmm. It was about repetitive thoughts. And I used to be in this, instead of getting out of the lie, just repetitive, repetitive, and how to get away from that. And I think it's part of what I was struggling with is how to mm-hmm. disconnect from the deep thoughts and the worst case scenario that you speak about. Yeah. And to bring it back to center. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like, again, that idea of an itch that if it comes up, I don't have control over whether that negative thought comes up, but do I feel like it's dangerous and do I go there and unpack my bags or do I just go like, oh, there it is again. What do I want to do with it? So there are ways that we can use mindfulness and curiosity to work with the ways that we're wired that these things come up, but we don't have to live in that place. This is one of my last questions to you. I can, I I love this topic because I feel so, so understood. Um, Do therapists talk about this in, when, when you go and you discuss feelings, is this something that is spoken about in therapy, a highly sensitive person? Well, 50% of clients in therapy are highly sensitive. So we would hope that therapists would know about the trait. And that's, again, why I really want to get the word out. Some therapists do not know about the trait. And so if you suspect that you're highly sensitive, we'll talk about some resources. And if you're in therapy, ask your therapist to read this work. And if your therapist doesn't buy into it, I would take that very seriously because uh, this is a trait. It's how we're wired. Research and brain studies show that our brains function differently. So you really want to be with somebody who gets you. So what are some good books to read or? I love all of Dr. Elaine Aaron's books. So she's got the highly sensitive person, the highly sensitive child. She's got highly sensitive in love. There's a movie called Sensitive, the Untold Story. And you can go to either Amazon Prime or if you search for Sensitive, the Untold Story, you can go to the website and rent it. Dr. Ted Zeff has some great stuff and his website is drtedzeff.com. Dr. Elaine Aaron's website is hsperson.com. There's also a self-test there for adults and one for children. Uh, You know, I would stick with her stuff. If you like videos, you can go to YouTube and Google those people. They've done some videos there. There's a podcast called The Highly Sensitive Person that isn't being produced anymore, but it's very good, but you can still find it. Obviously, I think that my podcast, Unapologetically Sensitive, is a great resource. I've got a YouTube channel. I've got videos on my uh, website, and I have a Pinterest and Instagram account where I really try and create a lot of graphics and memes and videos that are relevant to the highly sensitive person. Thank you for that. What is your website? It's unapologeticallysensitive.com. I know it's a pain in the neck to spell. Or say. <laughs> I find I it's, it's a little bit of a tongue twister, especially for me, Israeli. I had to like yeah. really make sure that I say it fine, but it doesn't matter. We could type. Yeah. We could what type I would love in. to do yeah. if we have a minute is to just talk about some of the strengths that we have. I would as love to. People. Yes. So we're loyal. We're conscientious. We tend to be healers, teachers, therapists. We're justice seekers. We are great at problem solving. We tend to be very creative. We come up with solutions that most people don't. I mean, we have so many gifts and talents. We're very discerning. And I think that I used to think, you know, I'm very judgmental and it's like, no, I'm just very discerning. I go into a situation. I'm clear about what works and what doesn't. I want to talk about it because I'm a verbal processor and I don't view that as being judgmental anymore. It's like, I'm just talking about what is. So I think that when we can turn what we think our weaknesses is, weaknesses are into strengths, 
it, it just, it's such a shift for us and we need to change that dialogue for ourselves. I mean, I was ordering in a restaurant the other day and like, I, you know, I said, I'm the problem child. And it's like, I don't know why I do that. Hmm. I'm not a problem child. I just have certain things that work for me and that don't. So, you know, even being an empowered and educated HSP, that's a little notch that kind of puts me down a little bit. If that's how I'm communicating about my needs to somebody, I, my needs are valid. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And thank yeah. you for highlighting our strengths before we leave, because it's so important to know that we are so powerful and our struggles are worth it Yeah, and embrace it. Absolutely. It's so, so important. Do you have these lists on your website? Of the strengths? Yeah. I have some. I don't have a lot. Maybe I'll make a list as a post and we'll um, connect it because I think it's powerful. I think it's really powerful and very important for us to, because we get hard on ourselves to look at it and and go into our power mode versus our frustration mode. Yeah. Yeah. That would be good. Is there any other message you would like to share with the audience? Just that how you are is just right. You're not too much. You're not not enough. That how you are is just right. And if any of this resonates with you, just learn as much as you can because you want to become an empowered and educated HSP so that you can advocate for yourself and you can educate other people because the world needs us. The Mm -hmm. world needs to have empathic, caring people that want things to be right. Wow. Thank you so much for all this knowledge, for giving me a sense of belonging. Really, you gave me a sense of belonging. That's why I was so excited to have you on my show because I said, this is going to be a gift to myself. More than my audience, I know that I'm going to grow from this and I'm going to take my audience down the path of excitement with me on this show. I was, a, I must say, I was very selfish with this one because I wanted it more than anything for myself. So thank you and you really helped me. And I have so much to learn now and to know that I can learn and to, and to want to be who I am and to embrace it. So I really have so much gratitude to you. Thank you. I want to just ask you the last question that I asked most of my guests. What does hope mean to you? Hmm. Wow. I don't do great with questions on the spotlight. So let me see what I can, (laughs) let me see what I can pull out of my hat. Take your time. I, I think, I don't know if I use the word hope as much as optimism. I'm, I think it's just knowing that, that things will get better, that things will work out, that something bigger than me is working to know that the world is a place where things work out. I talk about like my inner Eeyore, which was created to protect me, which is like, nothing's ever going to work out. People screw you over. Don't count on anybody. Everybody disappoints you. And so that was created to protect me. And so I think that there really is a part of me that knows that yeah, everything will always work out and then my needs will be met and then I'm going to be taken care of. I guess that's my answer. I actually love it, by the way, <laughs> because it's really, it's just a place that's good. Like yeah. at the end, it might feel hard, but the the end, everything is okay. Like it's good. Yeah. It I've, is good. I've, I've seen a post that's like, it's a bad day. It's not a bad life. Mm. Yeah. Very, very, very nice. Thank you for joining me here. If you want, uh, if you feel like you're anything like what we spoke about, I highly recommend you check out Patricia Young. You're on all platforms, right? Yep. It's uh, everything is pretty much under unapologetically sensitive. Okay. Definitely check her out. And it feels so good to be understood and feel a sense of belonging. So really check her out, join her conversation, bring to her conversation, empower somebody else. Maybe by you sharing your story, you'll empower somebody else to look inside them and feel a sense of belonging. You might change a person's life. You might change a child's life. You might change a relationship. So let's be the advocate for highly sensitive people out there in the world. And together we can make a better place. Thank you for joining me here. And you can join us on Hope to Recharge 
Facebook group to share your thoughts. If you have anything you want to add on this episode, please come and join our conversation. Thank you and bye till next time. Thank you for joining us and taking the time to listen. I really appreciate it. Please hit the subscribe button so you can hear further episodes. If you are listening to us on iTunes, please leave feedback and ratings below. Let us know if there's any topic that you would like to hear from us in the future. Bye till next time.